of my life are quite inconsequential. Read my lips. If you have sex, your penis will fall off and land in another dimension populated entirely by dogs who will eat it. Well, that's something I'd like to avoid. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I'm a paladin with 18 charisma and 97 hit points. I can use my Helm of Disintegration and do 1d4 damage as my half-elf mage wields his plus-five holy avenger. And as president, I'm going to make it impossible for congressmen or lobbyists to slip pork barrel projects or corporate welfare into laws when no one's looking. Because when I'm president, meetings where laws are written will be more open to the public, no more secrecy. That's a commitment I make to you as president. The Michael Graff Show. It is my opinion he is a danger to himself and others and is in need of treatment. Finally, a guy in broadcasting that represents the very average side of us all. The following broadcast is in the hands of a college-educated, barely-employed guy that does a podcast for an audience of fewer people than Paris Hilton has brain cells. It's hard to imagine that he's perpetually single. Now, from the middle of desert Urbania, this is Michael Groff in Exile. suppose that would be me. Yes, welcome in. Another edition of Michael Graff in Exile is underway. It is Wednesday, April 7th, 2010. Michael Graff uh, here in the chair. Thank you so much for checking us out. I know I sound a little bit out of it today. If I do sound like that, I'm I'm battling against the creepy crawly crud. I am not feeling well. I am not doing well today. I don't know why. Um, I, I I think I'm I'm, you know, I've been very lucky. I haven't been sick, and I mean like really sick. I've had some allergies and some asthma, that, that kind of thing. But I haven't been legit sick in a long time. I have really been uh, doing a great job staying away from it. My immune system is insane. But I'm, uh, I, I woke up at about 2 o'clock this morning. I had a sore throat. I just I couldn't sleep. And uh, now I'm, I'm starting to get a little bit of the cough thing going on. I'm starting to feel a little run down. I, I could actually do my Bill Clinton impression. Well, before I came on the air, I was doing my uh, best Bill Clinton impression because I, uh, I had the very raspy voice. And I'm fighting through that right now, all right? So... I don't know. This is not. I don't think this is going to be one of those podcasts where I sit here for uh, two hours and opine about everything. And I'm, I'm going to try not to scream and yell too much. But you know, I, I think many of you know my style by now. I do sometimes get just a little bit animated, and I'm going to do my best to sort of keep that under control, at least for today. You know, listen, I, uh, I'm trying to. Try to preserve my voice as best I can. Uh, 
I'm already getting to the point where I, if I start to laugh, I, I'll get the little bit of cough going on. That's that old man cough. So I know I'm getting sick or I, I'm on the verge. All right. And, and I hope I don't do this into the, you know, where I do this thing where I go into the microphone too much because I know that'll annoy the crap out of you as well. And I don't really have the motivation or the energy to go through and edit out every time I sniffle into the microphone. I know I can do that on these podcasts. I have a lot of editorial control here, but just don't really feel like doing that. All right. Enough about me. I mean, it really should just be all about me. It is my podcast, but no, enough about me for the moment. I want to talk a little bit about... A little bit about... Well, we've got a lot of stuff actually to talk about. I got to talk about what happened over the weekend. We had a big uh, earthquake over the weekend. A 7.2 down in Baja. And it made big news because even here in the Phoenix area, we got a little bit of the shaker around 3.40 in the afternoon on Sunday. And uh, everybody was... Everybody was talking about it. Now, a lot of people didn't even feel it. I did. And I noticed it because I, I had some clothes sitting on a chair in here. We were just getting ready to go out to an Easter dinner. Uh, my mother, uh, her boyfriend, my brother, and myself, we were getting ready to go out to a dinner. And all of a sudden, these clothes, they just fall off my chair. And I had them on there enough to where, you know, it would have taken at least a little bit of a, a force to move them. I had some papers stacked up over here and then everything just uh, sort of, you know, the clothes fell off. I mean, nothing broke, nothing significant. It was not, this was not a significant earthquake. I mean, if I had to pin it how it was here in Phoenix, I would say, like, yeah, three. You know what I mean? It wasn't, um, wasn't even anything that was going to shatter windows. Uh, it wasn't uh, really newsworthy, although it did make the news. But it wasn't anything to get too excited about here in Phoenix. But the fact that we even felt it at all, is it's very unusual. I've lived in Phoenix now uh, 27 and a half years, since August of 1982, almost 28 years. And shortly after we moved to Phoenix, uh, we had an earthquake uh, in 19, it was like the winter of 82 or early 83. And it was about a four something, I remember. I know some windows got broken in Scottsdale and earthquakes are very unusual here. Usually if we get an earthquake here, it's because California got the crap shook out of them. And so as a result, that's when we get them. But uh, this was um, this was back in the early 80s. And then I remember there was one um, there was one in the 90s uh, in the middle of the night. And I was up and I remember that. And that was, again, it was very, very minor. Many people didn't even notice it happened. They were asleep. It didn't do much, but I, I did notice some um, uh, some things sway just a little tiny bit. And then this one the other day, and it only lasted a few seconds. It wasn't anything to get too excited about. But obviously in uh, Mexico, you had uh, three people were killed. Dozens were injured. So that was the big story on Easter Sunday. Then, of course, we had the mine explosion uh, in West Virginia, and I believe that happened on Monday. And uh, let me see here. What's the latest? 24 people dead. Uh, several people are missing. Four people are missing. Uh, they've been drilling holes for the last uh, several days. Uh, today, they broke through uh, to try and rescue uh, the the people that are left in the mine. Uh, there's uh, too much methane down there. They just can't get in there. And they uh, said that the CO levels were very, very high. The likelihood of anybody surviving down there after this explosion, given the high levels of methane and uh, carbon monoxide, along with other uh, gases, 
Uh, they say that the likelihood of this very, very low. And that's uh, unfortunate news. That's the, this is one of the worst mine disasters in United States history. And we've had a couple of these now in the last uh, couple of years. So that's uh, certainly some bad news. And you never like to hear uh, anything about that. Uh, my next question, of course, is inevitably who's going to get sued over that. Speaking of who's going to get sued, we had a case of a uh, we had a case of a driver here in the Phoenix area who uh, a couple weeks ago on March 25th, uh, some motorcycles were waiting at a stoplight up on uh, 27th Avenue in the Black Canyon Highway, and a dump truck uh, just ran into them, ran into all these motorcycles that were sitting waiting for a light to change. And uh, the guy that hit them, well, uh, no surprise here, he was on meth. Yeah, he was loaded up on methamphetamines. And um, so he is uh, going to be charged with uh, seven counts of, um, let's see, seven counts of uh, manslaughter, along with several counts of endangerment, uh, assault, and whatnot. So he's going to be locked away for a while. My question was why this guy was even allowed to drive, why his CDL wasn't pulled, because he had three other violations outstanding in the last month before that incident. So there's going to be some lawsuits there. That trucking company might as well go out of business. These are just a few of the observations. I have a lot of observations. I have a lot of things that I want to get to. And I, you'll forgive me if I'm just sort of breezing through everything as quickly as possible. It's just because uh, I don't know how long my voice is going to hold up. I don't know if I'm going to be able to. I'm, I'm okay right now. I'm, I'm feeling, you know, I, I can. T I, I do hear the raspiness in my voice just a little bit, especially if I get a little bit animated. Um, and I can tell, like when I when I dip down here, the lower register of my voice. I can I can definitely hear that. But so we're going to try. I'm trying. I'm I'm gaming this one out. I got to talk about the baseball season. I did promise you some previews. I'm not going to be able to go into the extent, extensive preview that I wanted to go into, uh, mainly because I just, I, I can't, I could sit here and I could do an entire podcast about baseball and I could do it every single day. I could talk about baseball nonstop. Um, I will uh, periodically sprinkle it in throughout the uh, throughout the season. And of course, here in the beginning of the season, I will give you some previews and some information. I definitely want to talk about it, but um, I, I just can't get into the extensive amounts of minutiae. And I know that some of you really don't care. I know some of you are, oh my God, more sports. I don't like it. I know there's some of you that just hate that, but uh, we are going to just talk about it a little bit, uh, ever so briefly. Uh, there's some good stuff going on in Major League Baseball. I mean, right now, as I'm sitting here doing this podcast, the, the Yankees and Red Sox are in the 10th inning tied at one. And, uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm loving it, okay? I'm so happy that baseball's back. You know what I did today? I was just chilling out. I'm trying to rest a little bit. I'm getting the rest in the voice, resting myself up a little bit uh, after I read all this uh, stuff that I want to talk about for the show. And I'm just watching. Uh, I'm watching the Giants and the Astros. I'm watching the Brewers. Uh, Rockies game what just for the hell of it you know that's I don't have any money on these games yet and so I'm sitting here I'm just watching these games for the hell of it why not you know it's, it's fine it's good stuff I'm I'm happy baseball is back all right Tiger Woods made his big uh, press conference he had his big uh, press conference or his news conference not even a, really a news conference he uh, answered some questions media day on Monday at uh, the Augusta National 
And uh, basically, we didn't really learn anything else. I don't know why we have to learn more. I don't know why people still believe that Tiger Woods owes them any kind of explanation as to what occurred. The only thing that Tiger Woods owes anybody an explanation about, aside from his wife, of course, the only thing that Tiger Woods owes anybody an explanation regarding uh, is um, with what happened the night with the police. Now, the police have dropped the whole thing. It's pretty much over with. But since the police were called in, then it does become a matter of public record. And you can ask him about that. The other stuff is just, it's all nonsense. Asking him about what he thinks about Jamie Jungers and uh, Rachel Lucatel and, and the broads and, you know, uh, which, which position does he like best and all this other nonsense. Anything else you ask Tiger about all that. And anything you ask him about his family life and all, you know, that's just all nonsense. It doesn't serve any purpose. It's yellow journalism. And I don't know why people care. I don't care. You know, look, Tiger Woods is getting laid. He's get, you know, he's getting laid a lot more than I am. I'll tell you that right now. You know, but good, good for him. Good for him. You know, that's great. 274 days for me. But, you know, good for Tiger Woods. All right. But I'm just telling you, uh, I, I I have to say, I uh, I don't care about his sex life. I, I haven't cared since the start of this. Uh, all of these women came forward anywhere from seven to 19 different women. Uh, some of them uh, are hot. Some of them are not. Many of them are. Well, they're they're basically all whores. I don't think we can doubt that. Right. I mean, they're not whores in the sense that they are, uh, you know, prostitutes. They're whores in the sense that they know what they're doing. They were using Tiger. Tiger was using them. It was a mutual whoring out. That's how it was. Let's not call them anything other than, or maybe sluts. You could say that. That would be a fair term to call most of these people that Tiger Woods slept with. And I'm sorry, that's not libel or slander. That's just the way it is. You sleep with a guy, you know that he's married. What does that make you? Makes you a, well, it makes you a slut, but whatever. You know, that's between that's between Tiger and these women and his wife and nobody else. He doesn't know anybody else an explanation. Doesn't know uh, Nike an explanation. He doesn't know uh, any of the other sponsors. Doesn't know Augusta National, uh, the uh, an explanation of the PGA Tour or uh, Ernie Els or Phil Mickelson or anybody. Doesn't know anybody an explanation. It's ridiculous. All right. Uh, so that's the latest of Tiger Woods. I can already tell my voice is, uh, is it's already getting worse. And I, I'm, all, I'm only like, uh, I'm only like not even 15 minutes into the podcast. All right. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're going to have some problems tonight. All right. Oh God. Okay. I know. Is he already looking for an excuse not to do more podcasts? I mean, really? No, I'm dragging my ass to do it. All right, here we go. Um, I have a lot of other observations I want to share, um, especially because now, uh, boy, there's so much going on with uh, Barack Obama. Looks like he signed a treaty with the Russians, another one of these situations where it's not even worth the paper it's printed on. It has to do with nuclear weapons, and uh, the Russians can back out of it any time. This is also on the heels of he signed this uh, deal saying that if uh, the United States is attacked. He says that if the United States is attacked by a biological or chemical weapon, uh, he will not retaliate against that nation with nuclear power. 
It's kind of like telling a criminal, if you break into my house, you should know I have a gun, but I absolutely will not use it. What does that say to the rest? Can you imagine if Ronald Reagan had done that during the Cold War? There wouldn't be a Cold War. Uh, the Russians would be able to, you know, push us around. Anybody would have been able to do what they wanted. Uh, the Iranians, uh, no, no Iranian hostage situation. No, no, they would have just laughed at us. They would have said, you, you guys are a bunch of pussies over there. That is what is going on, sir. Give me a break. We would have been the laughing stock of the world. We're becoming that way as it is. All right. And uh, big news, other big news uh, surrounding the American dollar and the value of the dollar. And it's declining rapidly. Once again, This we're back to about where it was just over a year ago uh, where the dollar just plummeted against other currency. And uh, don't think for a second it doesn't have to do with the fact that yeah, we're running at an incredible deficit. We are just spending like crazy. We've borrowed enough money. Countries are dropping the dollar. Uh, the economy uh, in this country is such it's even worse than the economy in other countries. It is, it is bad news when our dollar is falling as precipitously as it is against other currencies. That is not good news for the United States. That is not good news for our standing in the world, our buying power. And it is not good news for a possible economic recovery. And uh, that's something that you need to know. All right. So I've given you that bit of information. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about that, I think, too. But, um, you know, some news for sure. Uh, other observations I have about, uh, well, I want to get into it. I know some people don't like it when I do this, but I do have to mention uh, a couple of radio hosts. Once again, a couple of people that have gotten on this talking point spree. Um, and again, of course, it comes from the usual smattering of folks, the, uh, the Randy Rhodes and Tom Hartman's of the world that are out there. They're spreading a myth. And the myth is that, well, we'll get into it uh, a little bit later on, but the myth has to do with the idea of, hey, uh, we don't like the tone uh, the the rhetoric that's going on in the country right now. It is it's full of vitriol. It's full of hate and name calling. And we didn't have this uh, during the Bush administration. Oh, really? Really? We didn't have this during the Bush administration, huh? Okay, well, we'll talk about that. You know we're going to get into that. And a whole lot of other stuff, too. All right, that is how we tease the rest of the podcast. Um, maybe I'll take a look at the pop chart. I don't know. I do have to... We're going to do the baseball preview, I think. We'll probably just put the pop chart back to its uh, normal spot. Hopefully, we're here for Friday, and we can, uh, we can fit that in. And uh, I've got other news too. Don't worry about it. You know that we're all, we're always just we're chock full, chock full of uh, news and commentary and. Hey, maybe Bill Clinton will stop by for the show. Hey, I can do this impression pretty good now. <laughs> hey, I think these are the smithereens. A girl like you, yeah. I used to sing this to Monica, Jennifer. Who's that other fat pig? I don't even remember all of them. Hillary. <laughs> hey there, Hillary. Now that you're Secretary of State, I... 
you get a lot of tail while you're over there in bum F Egypt. <laughs> I wonder if he's slowed down. I wonder if he's uh wonder if he's chilled out on going after the chicks, the interns and the and the uh the chubby chasing. I wonder if he's uh, chilled out on that in his older age now. Well, I mean, Bill Clinton, what is he now? He's, uh, I think he's, what, 64 now? 63 or 64? Or maybe he slowed down. I don't know. Maybe not. Oh, Mr. President. All right, more coming up. It's Michael Gruff in exile on a Wednesday back after this. Do anything I have to do. Hey. Just to win the love of a girl like you. You didn't know I could sing, did you? Hey. Segment number two, Michael Graf in exile on a Wednesday. Mike at KMGX.com. That's our email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Graf Show, AOL Instant Messenger, EFNet IRC, the channel net radio should you want to hang out over there. Of course, you can always hit us up on the Facebook. That's always up and available, at least uh, for the most part. I think, maybe. Lots of people adding me on Facebook. I have no idea who they are, but I had a uh, I had a great conversation actually. With somebody on there the other day. It's great. Uh, the the show transcends all age groups. Fifteen year olds listen to the show. Fifty year olds listen to the show. It's good stuff. And here I thought nobody listened. I believe I'd buy whatever you would sell to me. Nothing in my life ever came with a guarantee. All right. This was very, very puzzling. So over the weekend, I don't know how many of you saw this. You should really look this up. This is, this is just an example of 
what's really wrong with this president and what's wrong with the country? And I know you think maybe I'm being unfair. So this is how you should judge this for yourself and take a look at it for yourself and see if I'm being unfair. But um, over the weekend, Barack Obama was somewhere and I, I don't know exactly where he was here, but he was uh, he was uh, giving a speech and he actually graced the audience with the luxury, the uh, to ask him questions. I know, imagine that uh, an elected official actually taking some questions and facing the music from the audience. I know this is uh, hard to believe that he would do this, but he did. And I don't even think these were necessarily scripted questions. Here you go. So a woman stands up and, and asks a question that I've uh, been sort of asking and many of us in this country are asking. Uh, and it does tie into the healthcare situation. It ties into the uh, rumors of increased taxes coming down the pike here very soon. And the woman says, Mr. President, with the, with the economy being in the state that it is right now and so many people out of work, uh, how can you justify a tax increase right now? Now, I'm paraphrasing the question, but the question itself was a simple question related to when the economy is bad as it is right now, how can you justify a tax increase? It's very simple economic concept that you don't raise taxes during um, during an economic downtime. I mean, it's been proven throughout history that's just not the way you handle things. Well, now, Barack Obama, uh, now that question took probably about seven or eight seconds for her to ask. Barack Obama then goes on a 17-minute answer to that question. 17 minutes uh, they actually transcribed this. Uh, pretty much everything the president says now is uh, transcribed. And the, uh, the let's see here, the transcript is over 2,500 words. He gave over a 2,500-word answer. And uh, really, the, the answer, if you read it, if you read the entire transcript, a lot of it does ha has nothing to do with the question that she asked. It reminds me uh, in, very much like the time that uh, when I was... In the eighth grade, I asked Fife Symington, the then governor of the state of Arizona, about the Esplanade and how it is that he was able to defraud or what he was going to do with the uh, money uh, that he defrauded from the people, the $350,000 that he allegedly defrauded and then uh, later was uh, brought up on charges about and was pardoned by President Clinton. Uh, but I did ask him about that, and he gave me this uh, long explanation. You know what it's like? And politicians do this a lot, especially, and people do this a lot when you have them cornered. This, and I see this uh, all the time in debate. I see this on on uh, the on forums, message boards, all the time. And anytime you discuss with people, usually when you have them, when you got them beat, and they don't want to, and they don't resort to the personal attacks, which does happen a lot. But if they don't, what happens is, is they complicate the answer and they convolute it with a whole lot of crap. They throw a whole lot of crap at you, hoping that that will suffice, they, hoping that that will satisfy you. And that's pretty much what Barack Obama did here with this woman. Uh, pretty much uh, went out there and just decided that he was going to give uh, a, a huge explanation to a seven-second or eight-second question that's a very simple question and really has a simple answer. It's kind of like if you have kids, you have a teenager, and... He doesn't come home. You know, you set a curfew for him, 10, 11, 12 o'clock. And he doesn't come. He comes home late. And you say, hey, what happened? Why did you come home late? Now, 
Sometimes your kid just gives you the honest answer. Ah, you know what happened? We went out, we partied, we drank, or we went out, we, you know, we, um, we saw a movie, we just hung out. You know, maybe it's the truth, maybe it isn't, but chances are it's probably the truth because it's just a short answer. Usually when people give a lot of details, well, you know, it started out about 7.30. We went over to Scott's house and, uh, you know, Scott's a really cool guy. You know his mom? Uh, his mom was, uh, she's actually a, uh, she's a DA. Did you know that? And, and anyway, so we were over there and we were hanging out. We were having some, uh, we were having, uh, you know, some, some, uh, some, she, she made a cake and we had some cake and that was really good. And about eight o'clock, uh, uh, Josh came over and we decided we were going to go to the movies with Josh and Scott. But then, uh, Scott's girlfriend came over and I really don't like her very much. And, and, you know, uh, we were talking, we sort of talked it out. Now we're, we're kind of cool and stuff, but if there was a time when Scott, uh, told me that he didn't really like his girlfriend anymore, but, and that, you know, she was starting to annoy him. And then they were like talking about, oh man, I, man, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if we should see other people. And, and they were, you know, they were going to go and see other people for a while. Well, anyway, what happened was uh, then, uh, you know, I was in math class the other day. And what happens is that the story just goes way off and, and you expect, the kid expects their parents to just sort of get lost in the minutia and just sort of give up and go, well, wait, wait, that didn't really answer the question, son. That really didn't answer the question, where the hell were you and why were you late? You know, what Barack Obama did here, it didn't answer the question how you justify raising taxes when, uh, and I'm not, listen, I'm not going to read you the entire thing, and I'm certainly not going to play it, but uh, you can check it out for yourself. It, it, the, the answer here wasn't really a substantial answer, and this is just more theater put on by this president. And I don't know how he justifies what he does. No one... And this is the problem with the suck-ass media that we have here. No one took him to task on the offshore drilling that he's doing now. Barack Obama runs this campaign and he says that he's against offshore drilling. And that's the difference. That's one of the fundamental differences between me and John McCain. And he talks about how John McCain used to feel the same way he did. And John McCain changed his position. And he, and he says, I'm not going to drill offshore. I don't think it will have any positive economic impact. We won't even see that oil for 20 years. Uh, also, I think it, it could be uh, damaging to the ecosystem, the environment. So I'm against it. And you know what? I didn't necessarily agree, but at the same time, I said, all right, well, that's your opinion. And, you know, that's your stance. Stick with it. Fine. So he becomes the president. Now, all of a sudden, he says, eh, I think I'll drill offshore. I think I'll go for it. I'm against sending more troops into Afghanistan. I'm against, you know, the war in Afghanistan, Iraq, just a big mistake. What does he do? He sends 50,000 more troops to Afghanistan. You can't figure out what's going on with this president. You just can't figure it out. He says, I won't raise taxes. The average, you will not see your taxes increase by one dime. Well, that's another lie. It's another bunch of crap. Now, and I got to point this out. This is, this is more information that's come out. So now we have this, uh, the, the idea has been floated out there. And I don't know if you saw this, but the top economic advisor to the president, this uh, Volcker, all right, he came out the other day and he said, he was asked about it and he said, oh, uh, well, the president has not ruled out the possibility of increasing taxes to pay down some of the deficit. The president also has the idea of perhaps going to a European-style 
VAT tax. Now, I don't know if you know what a VAT tax is. It's called a value-added tax. Now, what that is, that is, a, that is a tax on top of a federal or state tax on certain goods or services. And uh, it, sometimes, depending on how it's done, it can be added to products uh, valued at $20 or more, $30 or more. Sometimes it's valued at any, it's, it's any product, period. Uh, it just depends. But Europe does this a lot. That's why things in Europe cost a lot more than they do here. For example, a gallon of gas. For example, uh, you buy, uh, well, you buy uh, even a, um, a DVD player or you buy a, a, uh, a PlayStation 3. These things in some European countries in particular, they have a much higher uh, price than they do here in the United States. Um, and the reason is because of the value-added tax. So people will sometimes say, and this is wrong, they'll say, well, you know, the tax rates in the UK or the tax rates in France or the tax rates in Germany, they're not really that much more than the United States. Yes, they are, because you're not factoring in the value-added tax and the, and the taxes on TV or the taxes on various other things that we don't have here in the United States. They're just looking at income tax, and they, that's the comparison they make. But this is a value-added tax that the president's own Finance, chief financial advisor, chief economist, says could be coming here. And he says, oh, well, I know it's not going to be, it's, I know it's going to be unpopular, but these are the things that you have to do when you're running in a deficit. No, those are not the things you do when you're running in a deficit. You know what you do when the economy is bad and you're running in a deficit? You, you treat it like you would your own home. If you're running in a deficit at home and you're spending a lot of money, let's say you're going out to eat a lot, you know, you're going out and having fast food or you're going out, you know, takeout food, whatever. And maybe, uh, you know, you're going out to lunch every day, work or whatever. Well, what you do is, is you stop doing that. If you're running in a debt every month, if you make $2,500 in a month and you are spending $2,700 in a month, you're operating at a $200 a month deficit. So you do, you, you go, you cut out something and there's things you can always cut out. Maybe I cut out the cable TV. Maybe I cut out the... I don't know, maybe I cut out something. I cut out the, the lunches or the going out on Friday nights, right? I have to do something to cut down, make my budget balanced. Here in the United States, you, you have to cut back on some of the programs. You have to come cut back on some of the entitlements. You have to stop with some of this nonsense. You cannot continue to spend, spend, spend and not expect there to be repercussions. And that ties into what I was talking about at the top of the show. And that is... Look, look at the value of currency today. I'm looking at the currency exchange. Now, this is actually from yesterday. It could have changed today. But as of yesterday, one Canadian dollar was worth one dollar U.S. The Canadian dollar and the U.S. dollar were identical. In fact, uh, for a time, uh, the last couple of days, there have been times where the, uh, the Canadian dollar has been worth more than the United States dollar. That happened a couple of years, about a year and a half ago, that happened as well. And then the economy went in the toilet and uh, all currency across the world dropped and the Canadian dollar went back to being worth about 78 cents U.S., but it has steadily sort of been creeping back very slowly. And the reason is... The reason the U.S. dollar continues to decline, and this is an old topic, and this is just something, forgive me, I know you've heard it many times before, and many of you are already very, very adept at what's going on. You know. But for those of you that don't, when you continue to spend, when you continue to put more and more and more dollars on the open market, and you just keep printing money 
left and right. That's that's your solution to getting out of debt. You just print more money. Well, we'll just print more. It makes the value of the currency you have worth less and less each time you do that. And that's what's happening here. Yes, uh, the stock market has come back a little bit. But what we're doing is we're giving out more foreign aid. We're, we're putting more dollars on the, foreign, on the foreign market by buying foreign oil, for example. As we continue to do this, what's going to happen is we are contributing to our own demise. You know, and that, it's another thing that's that's another consequence of outsourcing jobs. It's another consequence of, uh, of just uh, running the printing press nonstop and borrowing money from China and borrowing money from everybody else. This is the fundamental problem that we're experiencing here now. And that is why the value of the U.S. dollar has matched the value of the Canadian dollar, something I never thought would happen growing up. When I was growing up, the last time I was in Canada, 1996 was the last time I was in Canada. Yeah, I was supposed to go last year, but you know, yeah. Anyway, uh, the value of the dollar, the value of the dollar when I went to Canada in 1996 was 59 cents. It was like 59 or 60 cents. And it was amazing. I was able to buy a whole lot of crap with my dollar. My dollar had a lot of buying power back then. Now, it doesn't. And with the value of the U.S. dollar going down, it benefits Canadians greatly. They're going to love it. Canadians that per dollar made more than, the, than U.S. citizens, even though, see, the average, I don't know how old this statistic is, but I just saw this earlier today. I think the average Canadian wage is is about $40,000 a year. They might say, wow, that's that's a lot. That's a lot more than the U.S. The average U.S. per, per person, the average income is, I believe, 33000 34000 That's the median income. But for a long time, since the U.S. dollar was worth more than the Canadian dollar, it all it not only did it even out, but we were actually making more money per person than they were in Canada. But now it's benefiting Canada greatly that we're, that we're falling off. It's just like how you can go to Mexico and you can buy, oh my God, you could, even now you can still go down there and get great, great deals on things. Uh, there are certain things you wouldn't want to buy there, but you know, if you go down there, you get shrimp or whatever, or, um, you know, beer or other things, you can go down to Mexico and you can get that for well, uh, half the price, even prescription drugs, you get them for half the price that you get them here in the United States. The same thing is going to start happening soon. Canadians are going to come here uh, for a lot of things, not just their health care, which is what they've been doing now because they have to you know, get on waiting lists and, and wait with their socialized health care system that we just adopted because, you know, Canada has it so great. Um so uh, now they're going to be coming here for a lot of purchasing unless we do something to, to curb this. And I don't know. I, we might be past the point of no return on this. I don't want to think gloom and doom like that, but we very well may be past the point of no return when it comes to salvaging the value of the U.S. dollar. And I told you what will ultimately happen is the United States drifts further and further into entitlements and we drift further and further into financial insolvency. What will happen is... Uh, eventually we will have a repeat of Mexico circa 25 years ago, where in the middle of the night, uh, we decide, they decided to just drop their currency and, and have a brand new currency that they issued. 
And that currency was only worth about one fifth or one eighth of the currency that they had before. And if you if you uh, don't, you have to turn in all of your old currency. And if you don't, all that currency you have is going to just be worthless. Not going to be worth a damn thing to you. And we certainly don't want that, do we? But that is coming down the pike next. All right, other news that's happening as we take a look here. Uh, I don't know how many of you have been following this story. We've talked about this occasionally. Now, uh, this is kind of the no-win situation of all of them. Uh, the Federal Communications Commission apparently does not have the legal authority to slap net neutrality regulations on Internet providers. This is according to a federal appeals court. This is a big, big ruling. I don't know how many of you have followed the net neutrality situation. Really, from what I have understood about this case ever since it started, really, this is about the FCC saying uh, whether or not uh, it has the jurisdiction to rule over the Internet and the content of the Internet. And you might say, well, of course the FCC does not. But the FCC feels that they do, and they feel that they, they have the right to step in and, and regulate the Internet just like they do the radio and television airwaves. They feel that it's ostensibly the same thing. Now, hold on a second. Before you get up and cheer and you're like, well, this is, a, this is great. Uh, it's good that the FCC doesn't have the ability to step in and rule. Understand, though, that what it does mean is that the ISPs, of course, have free, free control uh, over what is allowed on and off the net and their filtering process and what you'll get to see and what you won't and, and, and all of that. Now you might say, well, that makes sense. After all, it is their network. It is their network. That's fine. But really, you're, it's kind of like a pick your poison situation. You're choosing between either your ISP or NISP, whether it's Verizon or AT&T or Quest or whatever, and the FCC. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll trust the private company over the FCC, but boy, this is not, this is bad. A three-judge panel in Washington, D.C. unanimously tossed out the FCC's August 2008 cease and desist order against Comcast, which had taken measures to, uh, to slow BitTorrent transfers before uh, voluntarily ending them earlier that year. Because the FCC, quote, has failed to tie its assertion of regulatory authority to an actual law enacted by Congress, the agency does not have the power to regulate an Internet provider's network uh, management practices, wrote Judge David Tatel of a U.S. Court of Appeals, the U.S. Uh, D.C. Circuit. Now. What's happening here is, is people are downloading or they are suspected of downloading um, files illegally. They, they, they said that the FCC, FCC should really be regulating the Internet. They should be monitoring this. Of course, how is the FCC ever really going to monitor? How are they really ever going to know? And so the ISPs have done this. The I, ISPs have stepped in and they said, we're, we're going to block certain ports. We're going to block, uh, we're going to do our best to try and block certain applications or we're going to do our best to, to try and... Uh, you know, monitor what's going on because um, record companies and move, the movie industry, they're coming to us and they're saying that um, there's a lot of people downloading content illegally. We want to protect copyright here. And the ISP said, well, that's fine. You should really go to the FCC. And the FCC says, no, 
you know, uh, fine, we're going to step in and try and regulate the internet. And then the cable companies, the, the, these, uh, internet service providers say, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't step in and regulate our business. This is our business. Tuesday's decision could doom one of the signature initiatives of FCC chairman, uh, Julius, uh, Genachowski, a Democrat, Last October, Janikowski announced uh, plans to begin drafting a formal set of net neutrality rules, even though Congress has not given the agency permission to do so. The, the uh, push is opposed by Verizon and other broadband providers. Well, of course, because what this would mean is that the government would ultimately have to say, I mean, I guess this is a victory in a sense. It's a victory... Sort of. It's a victory that the government does not have control over the Internet. Even though we've already learned today that in the event of a cyber attack, a significant cyber attack, uh, Barack Obama would have the authority to tell ISPs to shut down. He could shut off the Internet. I, I always I picture like this big red button that says do not press Internet. And it's like it's like right now it's in the on position and then you can just press the button and turn it off. I don't know what many of you would do without the internet. I don't know what all these people on World of Warcraft would do. I don't know what I would do. I, I wouldn't be able to do this podcast. I mean, I would. I'd be able to do a podcast, but I'd just be recording it for myself. And then we have this. And this is, I mentioned this earlier in the show. The, uh, the new U.S.-Russian Arms Control Treaty. This is uh, apparently a much better deal for Russia than uh, the than the U.S. And certainly it's a much better deal for Russia than any previous document that's been drafted. Moscow reserves the right to withdraw from it um, if a planned U.S. missile defense system uh, grows any kind of a threat, if it poses any kind of a threat to Russia. Sergei Levrov said that Russia will issue a statement outlining the terms of such a withdrawal after President Barack Obama and Russian President um, uh, Medvedev signed the treaty Thursday in Prague. The new accord replaces the 1991 Strategic Arms Reduction Treaty, or START, which expired in December. Lavrov had said before that Russia could withdraw from the treaty, but his comments at a briefing uh, Tuesday were his most specific yet on how and why a withdrawal could occur. Quote, Russia will have the right to opt out of the treaty if the U.S. strategic missile defense begins to significantly affect the efficiency of Russia's strategic nuclear forces. So at any time, if the Russians feel they want to back out of this deal, they can. How is this at all beneficial to the United States? That's the question. How is it beneficial if the Russians can withdraw at any time? And if we can't put up a missile defense system for the Euros or for ourselves or for whatever, because it could impede Russia's ability to blow us up at any moment or do whatever they wanted to. I mean, why else would they object to a missile defense system? Well, if that's the case, if they can do that, if they can withdraw at any time, then what's the point of even signing the damn document? Once again, it just shows this is a guy, this Barack Obama, he was on the Foreign Affairs Committee and he knows nothing about foreign affairs. He's signing a treaty that is worthless to the United States. It's a great deal for Russia. 
This is a fabulous deal for the Russians. They can back out of the deal anytime. Can you imagine you get a contract? You get a contract, and if you don't like it, this binding contract that you're that you're signing, you can be like, you know what? I'm tired of this deal. I'm out. I'm gonna do my own thing. Can you imagine that? So I, it's just that is scary. Nothing should really surprise me about this president, uh, and, and really nothing does surprise me about this president. It, it seems that. He's willing to sell us out. He's willing to sign bad deals. And I don't really think he knows what he's getting into. I really don't think he does. It's not a good deal for, for us at all. Of course, this is, again, the same president that came out and said, uh, if we're attacked by a biological or chemical attack from another country, we will not retaliate with nuclear arms. Well, that's good. We're really flexing our muscles, aren't we? We're showing them we're not going to take their crap. All right, it's Michael Groff in exile on a Wednesday. Mike at KMGX.com. That's our email address. Also, our PayPal address for your most generous donations. That's Mike at KMGX.com. More coming up. Yeah. Segment Michael Graf in exile on a Wednesday, and I'm uh, hanging out, battling through. I think a potential sickness. Let's hope not. I, I'm hoping I can fight it off. All right. Just sitting here watching some baseball. I did promise you some uh, baseball previews, and I, I will not flake out on that to an extent. I'll. Uh, Got to give you my uh, yearly predictions. I know we got a couple of uh, games in the books now officially for everybody in Major League Baseball. The uh, the baseball season, man, it kicked off. It was exciting. Sunday night, Yankees, Red Sox. And, you know, I've always been one of these guys that I'm really not in favor of the, um, of the unbalanced schedule in Major League Baseball where you play every team inside your division 18 or 19 times a season. I, I just think... Uh, it's overkill. It doesn't give you an opportunity to see other teams, get acquainted with other teams, build rivalries with other teams. I know they want uh, base Major League Baseball when they went to this. They wanted to build more rivalries in the division. The problem with that is, is then, you know, how many Royals Indians games can we really put up with? Uh, you know, Yankees Red Sox is great. Every game is great. Even the blowouts are great. These two teams, it's it's a rivalry. The fans hate each other. The players don't really care much for each other. Uh, they play at a higher level. Well, I mean, that could be argued. Uh, the first couple of games of this series were not necessarily played at a high level. Lots of errors, lots of sloppy baseball, actually. But 
generally speaking, the level of competition is insane. It's a very intense, very high-pressure situation. They usually score a lot of runs against each other, uh, aside from tonight's game. And uh, it's great. So I um, But for, uh, for that, then I can argue against the uh, uh, unbalanced schedule all day. You know, that's the problem. All right, but uh, to preview what's happening in Major League Baseball this year, the 2010 season now, I'll just run down some of my predictions first, and then we'll go back and sort of, uh, sort of go through these. Uh, not really a surprise. I don't have any real upsets to talk about per se, um, except for one possibly, uh, and we'll get into that in just a moment. First of all, uh, let's start in the American League East because we were just talking about Yankees, Red Sox. And if you're wondering, yes, uh, those are the two best teams in the American League. Uh, those are the two teams that will likely, likely play each other in the ALCS. I don't see it going really any other way, uh, barring any kind of injury. Um, you're talking about the two teams with the highest payrolls. Uh, the Yankees at $206 million, the Red Sox at a measly what, $194 million. So uh, two teams that are combining for a nearly $400 million payroll between the two of them. Uh, that's just, well, there, there you have it. They pay a lot of money and they get results for it. Now, in the AL East, I have, unfortunately, I know this is going to depress many of you, but I have the Yankees winning the AL East, the Red Sox second, uh, Tampa Bay third, Toronto fourth and Baltimore as usual in the basement uh, in the AL central. Now I've been thinking about this and I had been kicking this around all the way leading up to the start of the season. And I'm still going to do this. I'm going to go out on a limb and I am going to go with twins, tigers, white Sox, Indians, Royals in that order. Um, I'll again, I'll go back and, and cover these in just a minute in the uh, AL West. Really a competitive and interesting division. It's going to be an interesting division. Really, I think it's a two-team race, though. And I'm going to go... And again, I've, I've really been struggling with this, but I'll say Angels, Rangers, Mariners, A's. That's how that division goes. Over in the National League, in the NL East... Or the NL least because, well, they have the Nationals in the division. And any team that has the Nationals in their division automatically is the worst division in baseball. Plus, you've got the Mets. So right right there, uh, the two worst teams, well, two of the worst teams in baseball are in that division. Uh, I have Phillies, Braves, Marlins, Mets, Nationals. The NL Central is going to be interesting, but uh, I think when the dust settles, I think the Cardinals walk away with the division. I, I'm going to go Cardinals, Cubs, uh, Brewers, Reds, Astros, Pirates. Yes, the Astros are a fifth-place team in the division, and they're lucky to be there. Um, again, we'll go through it in just a minute. In the NL West, this is the division that is the most topsy-turvy. This is the division that I think uh, at least one through four these teams could really finish in any order. I had to pick an order, uh, but I could make an argument for any one of the top four teams to finish first in the division. And with just a little bit of luck, any of them could. But I'm going to go with Rockies, Dodgers, Diamondbacks, Giants, Padres. The one thing I will say for sure is that I'm going to keep the Padres in the, in the basement in this division. They are It is not a good team. 
Uh, Adrian Gonzalez will likely be traded midseason, and I do not see that uh, going any other way. All right, uh, going back to the American League East, well, I don't know what else there really is to say. Yankees, uh, from top to bottom, you're talking about basically the best offensive lineup in the American League that certainly could make an argument for it and likely is. Jeter leading off, um, you know, with the uh, with A-Rod, uh, even though they lost Matsui, and I know it was very important, especially in the World Series last year. What did he hit? 600 in the World Series. Uh, he was huge, and you cannot argue with the contribution of Matsui, but I think they're going to be fine. Robinson Cano is really maturing. He is stepping up to the player that they think he's going to be. He already had a clutch home run last night. Um, Robinson Cano uh, going to be in the fifth spot in the batting order for much of the season, it looks like. Um, so there's there's your anchors. You've got um, A-Rod, Teixeira, Cano in there. Posada, even though he's looked terrible the start of this, this season, uh, behind the plate anyway, he has looked very bad. Uh, he could not catch on Sunday. And then uh, yesterday's game, he just... Um, he couldn't throw and he's starting to look a little bit his age, but I think offensively he's going to have a fine enough season and the way the Yankees play. I, I just, obviously when they're playing teams like the Red Sox, that's going to be a factor. And uh, we've already seen some sloppy play out of the Yankees defense. I'm a little, I'm a little, uh, skeptical with, uh, with Gardner out in left field and they have Tim's that they've brought in. They've already used Tim's, uh, to start out there too. Marcus Tim's he's played out in uh, left field which I don't understand at all. I thought he was going to be in there uh, for sort of um, pinch hit situations. I didn't think he was going to be getting some spot start duties against left-handers, but apparently he is. So, um, but top to bottom, I I just can't argue with the Yankees lineup. I really can't. Um, And that's why I'm picking them to finish first. Uh, Pitching, you know, Sabathia, Burnett, um, Obviously, uh, Pettit, and then when you have Vasquez as your fourth starter, that says a lot. Vasquez had a nice season last year. He'd be a, a, a an ace or, well, he was the ace of the Braves staff last year, or maybe he'd be a number two guy on many other rosters. He's the number four guy on the Yankees roster. You can't you can't argue with their starting pitching. The, the bullpen is going to be, well, that that's going to be touch and go. And I, aside from Mariano Rivera, aside from the hammer, uh, coming out late in the game, uh, the Yankees' middle relief is still going to be a little bit of a question mark. That's maybe the only weakness. That's the only vulnerability. But even there, I even early on, I've seen some of the vulnerability. But I think that's going to get shored up as we go along throughout the season. You know, the Yankees are not going to be shy about making a trade. Um, they if they encounter that problem throughout the season, they're going to try and shuffle some guys in. So. Uh, that's that's how it is. Yankees win the division, I think. Uh, Red Sox will be right behind them. I know Josh Beckett, John Lester, uh, John Lackey, your top three in that rotation. That's certainly solid. I know they have Wakefield still. I know that their, uh, their middle relief is supposedly better. Uh, obviously, Jonathan Papelbon closing, but he's uh, shown some struggles. The lineup, you can't argue. Uh, you know, Pedroia is going to have another great season. But the question mark is David Ortiz already off to a very slow start this season. He launched into a tirade against reporters last night after he went uh, 0 for 3, 0 for 5 to start in the first two games. Um, Big Poppy, is he having another uh, slow start to the season just like he did in 2009? That's the question. 
I am still reluctant to count this guy out. I think Big Poppy is still going to come out. He's going to have a fine year. Even though he started out slow last year, still had 28 homers, still had 99 RBIs when the, all was said and done. And that's considering he had a slow start to the season. He still had 99 RBIs. I mean, how many teams would love a guy to come on and have 99 RBIs? I know the batting average is way down. What was it? 238. But you'll take that from Big Poppy. You don't want him hitting third. I know that. And they're going to, they've moved him around already a little bit here and there. They're going to be uh, throughout the season. Um, I am still, uh, you know, Jacoby Ellsbury. I, I, I like that addition. I like Jacoby Ellsbury. Um, I, I can't really argue with uh, the Red Sox lineup. I, I, the closer spot, I mean, Jonathan Papelbon, will he be the Jonathan Papelbon we saw against the Angels in the playoffs last year? Or will he be the Jonathan Papelbon that we've seen um, in the World Series championship Red Sox teams? That's another big question. So we're going to look at that. Uh, the rest of the division, I know the Tampa Bay Rays, everybody's high on them. And I think if the Rays were in any other division in baseball, particularly the a- AL Central or even the AL West, I think it would be their division to win. Unfortunately, the problem is they're in with the two best teams in the American League. Finishing third, they're still probably going to have 90 to 95 wins. This this is a team that's going to be good. I don't know actually about 90 or 95 wins. Maybe I should back off of that a little bit. I told you in 2009, the Rays were not going to have a great year. They were not going to follow up their 2008 performance with another trip to the playoffs or the World Series. And the reason I said that was because I thought that too many guys had to have a career year for them to get to the World Series in the first place. And it was phenomenal that they were able to do it. But uh, last year, obviously, I I think 2008 showed itself to be more of the anomaly 2009, um, I I know they're very high on some of these guys. I know they have B.J. Upton. I know they have uh, Price. I know they have uh, Carl Crawford and and Evan Longoria. And that's, they've got a a good, solid lineup, good, solid pitching. James Shields, the ace of the staff. But, and I love, Matt Garza is a, is, I think he's a solid, solid number two uh, starter in any rotation. And really, again, he could be the ace in several rotations around baseball. This guy, this guy is great. He had a, uh, he had a pretty good second half of the season, 2009. Um, he at times has just electric stuff. So it is nothing against Matt Garza. It's nothing against anybody on that staff. It's just that they're the third best team in the AL East. And that means they're not going to make the playoffs. They're going to contend for the wild card. They'll be fighting it with, uh, for it with teams like the Red Sox, uh, the Twins, the Tigers, and the Rangers. And ultimately, I, I, just, I don't think they can get it. But we'll see. Uh, maybe they'll prove me wrong, as they did in 2008. Um, I think they're more like, uh, they're, they're kind of uh, in between where they were in 2008 and where they were in 2009. Uh, Toronto will always underachieve, and especially with the loss of uh, Halliday, I just don't see it for them. Um, their lineup is just not nearly as good, and uh, I, I've I'm just not sold on the Blue Jays. Um, so I think they're really the fourth best team in that division. They'll probably be around 500, maybe a game or two below. The problem is again when you lose Halliday and you don't have anybody to replace him with. I know they're high on Markham. I know they're high on some other guys in the rotation, but they just don't have the horses, especially in that division. The good news is they will still be better than. Baltimore, who I have in the basement, and um, I'm sorry, but 
you can try and sell me on the young talent that Baltimore has and that they're going to be good. But as long as Peter Angelos owns that team, uh, they're going to suck. And they have proven me right every single year. All right, um, on to the AL Central. I'm, I'm, st- I'm calling it the Twins to win, and I'll tell you why. The Twins starting rotation doesn't exactly dazzle me. Uh, I mean, I'm not sold on Baker and Blackburn. And I know without uh, without um, Joe Nathan uh, coming out of the bullpen this season, because he's out for the season, folks, uh, make no mistake, but he's done. Um, that's going to be tough. And it's it's very tough for me to make this prediction. I know maybe it's a little bit of the bias I have going on. You know, um, that's my AL team is the Minnesota Twins. But they found a way to do it the last two years. Um, and I, their lineup is... In that division, I love their lineup. You know, uh, Denard Spann, I'm a huge fan, even though he tried to kill his mom in spring training, hitting her with that line drive. <laughs> um, I, I love Denard Spann uh, leading off. I, I love the the middle of this lineup. Uh, Maurer, um, you know, when you, you've had guys the last couple of years like Kadire, Kubel, uh, Justin Morneau over there uh, at first base, uh, Paul Bunyan, you know, you've had guys like that over there. It's in, and uh, the last couple of years, you've had guys like Nick Punto over at third. I think he's been a nice player. So I've liked, um, I've liked what I've seen out of the Minnesota Twins. I have. I, I've really, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm a fan. I have to tell you. I mean, uh, aside from the obvious that I'm a fan, I mean, I, I like the lineup and really top to bottom can't argue with the lineup. And, um, so I'm, I'm picking them to win again. It may come down to the final weekend in this division. And I could see the Tigers winning this division easily. One thing's for sure, the Twins are going to hang in there throughout the season. They will battle for a wild card spot. Tigers, look, uh, I know they're talking about Dontrell Willis coming back too. Oh boy. Oh boy, Dontrell Willis. Look, the, one of the most overrated guys. And, you know, nice guy, a great athlete, but he has never been able to put uh, back-to-back quality seasons together. And I just don't think... Um, I love Verlander, and uh, you know they got Max Scherzer from the Diamondbacks, and he looked uh, very good today. I, uh, but I just don't. I don't know um, if that's going to be your number two or number three guy. Um, I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous now. I've always been a Max Scherzer fan, but I think the guy throws way too many pitches. Um, he he's falls in love with the strikeout, and he's trying to dazzle people with the strikeout. He can throw 98 miles an hour. You don't need to strike everybody out. It's okay to pitch to contact. And uh, the Tigers have guys like this. And uh, once you start to realize you don't have to do that, every time you take the mound, you can you can pitch to contact. You got eight guys standing behind you, or seven guys standing behind you. Um, it, it'll, it'll make the world a lot easier for you. You might actually make it into the sixth or seventh or eighth inning without having thrown 125 pitches. Again, I like the lineup, but, you know, they lost Curtis Granderson, and I think they're not going to – he had a bad season last year. I know that, or a down season for him anyway. And um, But they're going to miss him in center field. And I just – I really uh, – the Tigers have underachieved the last two seasons, and until they show me that they can really step it up, I'm, I'm going to count on them to have another meltdown as we get into uh, September. The White Sox, I, I definitely think the White Sox are improved. I, I like their pitching uh, rotation. I do. Their lineup, though, seems a little weak. It seems like uh, it just doesn't have the, the pop that it's had before. 
you know, in years past, they've had guys like Canerco and, and Thomas and, um, and that's been great for them. And, and they've, uh, you know, put Sednick and they've had all these guys and Carlos Quinton who they have, they still have in the roster, but you know, some of these guys have uh, moved on. Some of them have gotten older and, um, I don't know if Carlos Quinton, I don't know how legit he's going to be. I know that, uh, when he left Arizona, he had something to prove and he did in a big way. And, but for his stupid injury in September, 2008, he probably would have been the MVP of the American League that year. He was that good, but um, but I I, uh, I realized that I, I there's just too many question marks about the White Sox for me to give them. Again, could they win the division? Yes, I'll tell you two teams that will not, and that's the Indians and the Royals. Sorry. Um, well, I love Zach Granke of the Royals, and I think that uh, he is, well, he's the Cy Young winner, and he's probably going to get it again this year, folks, all right? If uh, it doesn't go to a guy like John Lester, uh, I think Zach Granke has a very legitimate chance to get uh, an AL Cy Young. You know this guy is filthy isn't even the right word. Dominant doesn't even do it justice. He's insane. And he's pitching on a terrible team, which makes it even better. It makes the accomplishment that much more amazing. So Zach Greinke, uh, he'll probably win. He could. He could win 20 games with the Royals. Could. If they had anybody that could hit on that team. And they just had a little bit of offense. If they could just breathe a little life. Actually, I like the Royals lineup. Um, for the most part, I like their lineup uh, better than the Indians lineup, if you can believe it. Um, and I think the Indians are just, uh, they're, they're, I think they're coming around again. I think they're just a couple of years away for competing, uh, maybe even just one year away. And believe me, uh, they're going to fight and, and they've got a lot of young guys just like the Royals. And they're going to go out there and play loose and they're going to give you all they've got. They're not going to roll over. Okay, this is not, they're not a glorified AAA team per se. Uh, they're just, it's a farm system that's come up and, and they're just in the very young uh, stages of, uh, of their development right now. Um, and really, they're just going up against too many veteran teams, too many uh, good pitchers. So uh, the, I think the, uh, the Royals, uh, they probably win uh, 65, 70 games this year like usual. And the Indians probably 70 to 75 games. And everybody else will be well over 500 or at or above 500 in that division. The AL West, I'm giving it uh, to the Angels by default, even though they've lost John Lackey, um, even though in the last several years, they, they just keep losing guys, and yet somehow they keep winning. Uh, they've lost Garrett Anderson. Uh, you know, they just, they keep losing. They keep losing uh, players. Somehow it doesn't matter. They just keep finding ways to win. And how do they do it? Well, they have a, a good lineup. It's not a lineup that's going to bowl you over with power per se, but they, uh, I think they were number one or number two in the American League last year in uh, batting average as a team. Their ERA was pretty good. Their starters, not the best, but overall, if you just look top to bottom, balanced, and that's what you like. And their bullpen is the same way. It's, it's balanced as well. Um, everybody else, uh, you look at... Um, you look at Texas, I have them number two. I, I love uh, their lineup. I mean, you you can't argue with that. Now, I know uh, they're going to miss Ian Kinsler for the first couple weeks of the season. He's on the DL. But he'll come back, and you know he's going to be fine. Josh Hamilton, Nelson Cruz, 
uh, Davis. You've got all these guys on on there that can just flat out mash these uh, uh, one through nine. Their their lineup is pretty solid. So, um, and everybody says the problem with Texas has always been pitching. Well, last year. Uh, their team ERA was down a whole run. I think Nolan Ryan uh, being uh, being the front office there, that's really helping out uh, the uh, the Rangers a lot. That's helping out pitching, uh, and, and he knows pitching. If there's anybody that knows pitching in all of Major League Baseball, you know that Nolan Ryan, he knows pitching. And uh, I, I think that uh, their pitching is going to be good, but it's not going to quite be there. And in the ballpark they play in, it's going to be hard uh, for them to legitimately compete. Uh, I think they'll be there. and They will compete for a wild card. They could even get the wild card, but I still think the Angels are the class of the division. Right behind, uh, well, a little further behind Texas will be the Mariners. Top of the lineup I like. Uh, Sean Figgins, uh, Ichiro, you can't go wrong with that. The rest of the lineup is, I don't, it's just bad. It's not a good lineup. I don't like it. Uh, quite honestly, aside from Figgins and uh, and and Ichiro, really, I got to tell you, I'd probably take the Royals lineup. Aside from Ichiro and Figgins, sure. Um, and I've already seen the first two games of the season, and and the Mariners are struggling to score runs, and they're going to struggle to score runs throughout much of the season, and that's just how it's going to be. Um, you know, Ichiro is always going to get on base. Figgins is going to find ways to get on. Other than that. You're going to have problems. Um, pitching, though, I love. I love their pitching. I love the top of that lineup. Oh, they've they've got a phenomenal. And, you know, their bullpen is not bad. So they could probably hang in the division race for a while, just like they did last year, maybe even longer than they did last year. Then they went on that, that big losing streak, June, July. They pretty much knocked them out of contention. And then uh, that brings me to the A's who will finish last. And you talk about a bad offense. I, I don't know. I was big on Eric Chavez for a long time. I was a, a supporter. I really liked Eric Chavez. He's had uh, problems with uh, injuries. I really don't know what happened to him. I don't know. He's had a, quite a precipitous fall off himself. And um, every everybody they try to plug in there, it, it just doesn't seem to work. They play in a, a very pitcher-friendly park. And yeah, they're pitching. I know Ben Sheets is back, and I've always been a big Ben Sheets fan too, and I hope he has a good season. But the rest of their starting line, I don't even know who that, half of these guys are. Ducherer, where that is. They got some, they got some weird, they got a very, very mediocre lineup, a pitching rotation, and a very mediocre lineup. So I see them again last place and you know they spend um well they spend last place kind of money so they're probably going to finish last place on to the national league east well i've got the phillies winning it i don't think there's really any doubt is there is there anybody that's going to compete the braves will the braves are going to compete a little bit their offense is definitely going to take a step forward um more on that in just a second the phillies top to bottom that is an american league lineup in a national league ballpark um, uh, if their pitchers hit, I, they would be a glorified uh, American League team if they just had some guys that could. I don't know. Does uh, can Cole Hamels hit the ball? I don't think so. Doesn't matter. Uh, with the addition of Roy Halladay, they're just going to be awesome. He was awesome in his start against the Nationals. Uh, gave up the run early, but otherwise he was incredible. Cole Hamels, if he can have a bounce back season, uh, he can only help that rotation. And you know. You know, 
You know, Jamie Moyer is still pitching, by the way. You know, he's back. Jamie Moyer at 47 years old. I just had to mention this because he was on the Phillies last year. Jamie Moyer continues to pitch. It's kind of like how Julio Franco played until he was about 48 or 49 years old. And I think he's still playing in a, in a minor league somewhere or in some league someplace. That guy is going to play till he's 90. And I think uh, Jamie Moyer could too. He just throws that junk up there at you and he gets guys out. Jamie Moyer is, is an effective cagey veteran who just won't go away. And it doesn't matter. He could be, he could be me pitching and, and the Phillies are just going to score 10 runs a game anyway. They will finish in the National League. They will be the top of the National League in runs scored. Um, probably close to the top in batting average. Close to the top in extra base hits. The top in home runs. Um, I, you just got to love that lineup from anywhere from Jimmy Rollins, who really actually kind of had a down year. Um, Victorino, who many people say is overrated. I, I still like the flying Hawaiian uh, quite a bit. Ryan Howard. Chase Utley, of course, one of my favorite players in the National League. Uh, it helped that he was on my fantasy team last year. Thanks a lot, Utley. And uh, he's, on, he's on a league I got this year, too. So uh, I'm, I'm loving that. And, uh, I mean, Raul Abanez. I mean, the list goes on and on. Last year, they had Pedro Feliz. Now, they lost him this year. Uh, Feliz is now with the, uh, with the Astros. But it, it's just amazing how they just keep finding guys to put into this lineup. And it just keeps working. Again, they're going to score six, seven runs a game pretty much every night, and you can put that in the bank. All right, and uh, they're pitching pretty good. Bullpen a little shaky. Overall, though, it doesn't really matter because they're just going to outslug you every night. Atlanta will be second in the division. Uh, Jason Hayward, this guy is the real deal. Um, I saw on Scouts, Inc., one scout uh, said that Jason Hayward, who's the 20-year-old right fielder starting for the Braves, he, they said he's really about the best player, the best pitch, the best uh, prospect rather that uh, this scout has ever seen, and he's seen. Uh, he's been in the uh, biz over thirty years, and he's uh, watched guys like Mark McGuire come up, Conseco, you know, all the way down the line, Bonds, and he says this guy is better. They're already calling him the Jay Hay kid. In uh, in Atlanta, I, you know, his first major league at bat the other day, he goes yard against Carlos Zambrano, three run homer. But I'm not ready to anoint him the next Willie Mays or the next Babe Ruth. But man, he has got a great swing and he's got a great approach to the plate. So you love that guy. All right, and uh, the rest of the division, Florida, uh, the Mets, oh, the Mets are they're a disaster. The Mets. Are going to. St I uh, I wanted to get this bet locked in. Uh, the over under in Vegas on the number of wins for the Mets this year was. It was uh, it was eighty two. Eighty two wins. Are you kidding? This team is not going to get to eighty two wins. They will be lucky to win seventy three games this year. I have them between seventy and seventy five wins. Just a little bit better than the Nationals. Well, I mean, they got David Wright, I, I think, but the rest of their team, old, um, and the ones that aren't old, not really a lot of talent there. Again, David Wright is phenomenal, and um, but the rest of the team, I obviously, Johan Santana. And I like John Main, too, 
But uh, I, the rest of uh, the staff, uh, I'm, I'm not sold. Sorry. Maybe next year, uh, a couple years down the line, the Mets will um, be good in that division again. But it's going to be a long year for Mets fans. You're going to be taking a lot of crap from Yankees fans all year about your sorry Mets. The Nationals, well, there's your AAA team in the bigs. Uh, they are bad. 65 to 70 wins. Um, their pitching uh, rotation. You know, I, I want to point this out. I don't think they have uh, bad pitching, actually. I really don't. I know people think I'm nuts for this. Uh, number one, the defense behind them is a terrible. And uh, number two, I, I look at the Nationals. I, I look at it this way. Again, they're kind of like the Royals in a sense. They do go out there and play loose. And they, they did. Uh, they had stretches last year where they scored a lot of runs. They are not, they're bad, but they're bad because they just, it's just a bunch of pieces. I know Adam Dunn. I know they've had some veterans on that team the last several years. They just, I, I, I can't really describe it except to say that you have some guys from the AA level that really shouldn't be up that are up there right now because they really don't have any other choice. Then you have guys that are like fourth and fifth starters on uh, other pitching uh, staffs that are like your ace or your number two guy. I mean, Lannon, really? That's that's your ace. Sorry, I'm just not buying it. The NL Central, I'll uh, make this quick. My voice is really, uh, as you can tell, I'm sure it's brutal for you to listen to. It's brutal for me to hear. Um, and it's it, you, you'd think it's kind of painful coming out of my mouth. It's it's not yet, but I'm sure I'm going to pay for this later. The The sacrifice I go through for this podcast... Um, the NL Central, I'm giving it to the Cardinals. Again, there's just no reason not to. Um, I'll give you one word, Pujols, really. If I have to add more, I'll say Matt Holiday. That right there, uh, that's your best 3-4 combination in baseball. And then you add Chris Carpenter, uh, Wayne Wright. I mean, you add that that pitching staff that they have. Um, you You look at top to bottom... Uh, the Cardinals, now the Phillies are, are the class of the NL, but I think the Cardinals, they're your basic balanced team. Certainly good enough to win the NL Central, which is going to be down this year. I know the Cubs have spent a lot of money. I know their payroll is about 100 and, what is their payroll, like 134 million bucks or something like that. I know the Cubs have spent a lot of money, and I know they're expecting a good year out of everybody. I know uh, Cliff Lee. I know, look, or uh, rather, um, Derek Lee. You see? Uh, the creepy crawly crud's going to my brain. Anyway, I, I know that they're expecting a good year out of Derek Lee. I know they're expecting a, another good year out of uh, Ramirez, and, and they're, they're expecting a lot. Look, Carlos Zambrano. Uh, now, I'm starting to see a, a dangerous trend with Zambrano. You know, he's lost it. And it's hard to explain. I think Carlos Zambrano, he still throws hard, but I think he's overthrowing. He's overcompensating. I think his, there's, there's something a little off with his mechanics. Maybe he's tipping his pitches. I don't know. But watching that Braves game the other day, there was something very odd. And it wasn't just the fact that he was facing a, a good lineup. He was just just missing his spots, and I think he was... That uh, I don't, I don't know. I can't even exactly put my finger on something tangible, but I can tell you 
that he is, uh, he's been lacking. He's definitely been lacking. And uh, the numbers the last couple of years have really been backing that up. I know he's capable of going out and throwing a no-hitter. But Zambrano's falling into this category of, of pitchers, kind of in the A.J. Burnett sort of category. You know, the guy that can go out there and he can throw um, a no-hitter. But if you get to him, if you get a couple of guys on base or if you get a home run off him, it totally changes his composure and suddenly um, he just, he'll give up 11 runs or something like that. And that's pretty much what happened to Zambrano yesterday. He got frazzled early and he just couldn't recover. And that's the kind of pitcher that he's becoming. And that's, um, if I'm the Cubs right now, that's something that I'm going to have to work with him on. If I'm a pitching coach or if I'm the manager, if I'm Lou Pinella, it's time to sit the big fella down. And I know he's got a bad temper and I know that he has a lot of pride and he expects a lot from himself. Right now, he does not look like the Carlos Zambrano that they have invested in. Meanwhile, Ryan Dempster, you know, uh, he proved me wrong. All right, the last couple of years. The guy went out, he, he pitched very well. I, I was not a Ryan Dempster guy. Uh, he's definitely proven me wrong, but will he continue that trend? That's a question uh, for, uh, for the Cubs. What about their bullpen? A shaky prospect the last two seasons, particularly last year. Uh, what about the lineup? What about Fukudome? What about, uh, you know, you've brought up all these guys the last couple of years. You had that, you had Mike Fontenot. Uh, you know, you had DeRosa for a while, then you let him go. I mean, DeRosa now with the Giants, he's just tearing it up. The Cubs just can't seem to get out of their own way. Is it going to be 102 years? That's the question that many Cubs fans have. The answer is, yeah, I don't even see them really being in the wild card picture, as sad as that is. Yeah, I do. Well, look, I have them second. Some, some I might even have them third in the division. But really, uh, I mean, officially I have them locked in at second, but I could see them finishing third. I could. I could see the Brewers passing them by. And the Brewers lineup is, uh, is actually better than the Cubs. But I'll give the Cubs the advantage in pitching, slightly. Assuming that Zambrano can return to some shell of his former self. Hoping. Hoping. All right. Uh, the rest of that division, terrible. Uh, Cincinnati, look, I, they're going to be around 500. And that's, that's an improvement for them, really. That's where they've been the last several years. They've been hovering in the 70 to 80 win mark. And that's about where they're going to be this year, too. Um, I'm not sold on them. I know Johnny Cueto is a guy that and Aaron Harang, and I know they've expected a lot um, better performances from their starting pitchers the last several years, and they just haven't really gotten it. The pitching, actually, the pitching is not bad. They were not bad. Their bullpen wasn't even that bad. They just weren't scoring runs last year, and in that ballpark, that is a head scratcher. And what that says is you've just got nobody with any real pop on that team. You don't. Uh, Joey Votto is the only guy that that really showed some power out there. Man, I don't know what the what the Reds are doing. I don't. I can't figure it out. This is a team that really should, on paper, they should be hitting a lot more home runs, especially in that ballpark that they play in that band box. They can't do it. They can't hit a home run to save their lives. I don't. I don't know. And uh, Houston, uh, the offense, especially with Lance Berkman on the DL right now, uh, the offense is going to be terrible. I mean, look, you have um, you have uh, what Carlos Lee to go to. 
Really? I'm Michael Bourne. Not really sold on it. Not right now. Sorry. And the starting lineup, Royals, well, it's a good pitcher. Wandy Rodriguez is, yeah, he's okay. He's okay. But then you got that uh, that woman beater, Brett Myers. And uh, from there on, uh, I think the rotation goes down substantially. Sorry, I'm not sold on that. And the Pirates, well, the Pirates are the Pirates. They're going to finish at the bottom, and uh, that's just how it's going to be. The Pirates and the Nationals are going to compete for the worst team in the National League. And, you know, the Pirates last year actually had a good, good starting rotation. I like Zach Duke. I like Ollendorf. I actually like some of their starters, but they're not going to score enough runs for these guys. I know they've played the Dodgers tough the first couple of games of the season, but they've done that. uh, They did that last season, too. The Dodgers are overrated, and we'll get to the Dodgers in a second. That brings us to the National League West. Uh, I have the Rockies winning the division, but I can make an argument for any team to win the National League West aside from the Padres. I could make an argument for it. Might not be a great one, but I can make an argument for any one of the four top teams in this division to be first place. Just like I could make an argument for them to be fourth place. Uh, the Rockies, for example, uh, pitching rotation, eh, it's a little, a little sketchy. Sketchy. I saw Aaron Cook today, and um, I don't know. Jim Tracy, who just seemed to have the golden touch last season, already made a very questionable managing move uh, This uh, in the third game of the series against the Brewers, uh, leaving Aaron Cook out there to hit today. When you got a guy on, and you know the, the Brewers have just come within a run. They were down, uh, what, 3-2 to two at the time, over 4-3. to three. And... Um, you know, ultimately, I think that might have very well cost you the game. That's too bad, but your lineup is is, is great. Uh, you've got, legitimately, you've got, uh, you have three, four guys that could zone in on 100 RBIs on that team. Uh, Colorado was number two in the National League last year in runs scored. Number two only to the Phillies. By the way, the Brewers were number three. So I, I think Colorado, uh, the pitching is a little bit of a question mark. Even in Colorado, I, I don't expect this trend where they've just had phenomenal pitching in Colorado the last several years to continue. I know they're using the humidor. I, I realize that. But how long can that really keep up? Uh, we'll find out. We'll find out. But I have them first tentatively just based on their performance uh, in the last hundred games or so of last season. Now, I'm going with the Dodgers in second, but I could easily argue for them to be in fourth. And let me just tell you, their pitching staff, ugh, I don't like their pitching staff at all. I don't like their starting staff at all. I like their, the guys coming out of the bullpen, but they're starters. Uh, Vincente Padilla is your ace on that staff. Are you kidding? Ugh. Vincente Padilla is okay. And I know that his record looks a little bit more tarnished, especially having been in the American League pitching with Texas. I think that game against Baltimore last year where he gave up, what, like 72 million runs in the, in the first inning or whatever it was, I know that pitching in the American League kind of tarnished his image a little bit. And coming back to the National League is going to help him, and especially pitching at Dodger Stadium, that'll help too. And in some of the uh, parks in the NL West, like Petco and, um, was it, Pac Bell or AT&T Park now, uh, when you pitch in those three places uh, for a lot of your games, that's going to help you out. But still, um, Vincente Padilla is a number three starter at best, I think. 
and that's your ace. And that's the problem that you're going to have there. You know, you go down the line, Kershaw. Again, what you've had in the past has worked to an extent. You know, Billingsley has been good. Uh, Kershaw, okay. I'm just... I don't think you have the starters to finish out first in this division. I just don't. I'm willing to be proven wrong, though. I'm sure it will happen. Uh, Third place, uh, the Diamondbacks. And this is a team that's going to drive me crazy all year trying to watch them. I'm sitting here. I'm watching the game right now. This is a team that's going to drive me nuts. It's put up or shut up time for some of these young guys, though. It's time for some of these uh, young Diamondbacks to step up. Now, I think Justin Upton's going to have a nice year. And there's no question that this is a star in the making. He's probably already at star level or just about. And he is potentially a superstar out in right field. Signed the big contract this year. I don't think it's going to go to his head. I don't think that's going to slow him down at all. I think Justin Upton goes out there and he hits over 300. He has 30 bombs. He has 100 RBIs. And I think that'll be fine. Uh, I don't have a problem with um, Mark Reynolds over at third. I think that you've got a a, a fine addition there. Um, again, he signed the big contract too, the contract extension. He's going to be okay. Of course, his problem is strikeouts. He had, uh, what, 224 strikeouts last year, the most ever in a season. Um, so that's got to be cut down. You you just you have to be able to put the ball in play more, and that's Mark Reynolds' problem. He has shown a propensity to be a little bit more patient in the first couple of games of this season. We'll see how long that persists, um, but you have a legitimate 40 home run hitter on this team, a guy that can hit 40, drive in over 100 runs, and that's what you want. Uh, score 100 runs, drive in 100 runs, hit 40 home runs. Problem is the batting average... Hopefully, it'll be a little bit better than 220 or 230. I'm hoping for somewhere in the 270 range. Maybe I'm hoping for too much. Get the walks up a little bit. Get the strikeouts down a little bit. That's what you need to do. And I know it's easier said than done, but uh, Connor Jackson in the leadoff spot. That's weird, but Connor is, uh, well, he's he's a contact hitter. He puts the ball in play. And at the end of the season, he hits 300. He's not a speed guy. He's a smart base runner. He's not a fast base runner. But I think that's still okay. It's an interesting choice for leadoff. Not what I would go for. I would maybe go Kelly Johnson or, um, hell, I would even Steven Drewer try to just make Chris Young do something in the leadoff spot. Anything. This is a big year for Steven Drew. He's going to have to step up. He is going to have to show that he is a major league caliber shortstop. And not just on the defensive end, but I mean with the bat. He had a nice season. He's had a, a couple of nice seasons. When he came up and in 2007, he had a fine season. But then he took some major steps back. And I know he was injured. But again, you're going to have to do something. Put up or shut up time. Miguel Montero is going to get a lot of the starts uh, behind the plate catching. He's going to share the time with Chris Snyder. But Montero is going to get most of the time. Kelly Johnson, uh, the new addition at second. Uh, Adam LaRoche at first, another 30 home run guy. This is a team that's going to hit some home runs this year. They are going to have the long ball working. They will have some power in this lineup, which is something that I've been screaming for for a long time. 
Um, and with Mark Reynolds and Adam LaRoche there, that's going to give better protection for other guys in this lineup. So hopefully people like Chris Young are going to step up and they're not going to hit 212 again this year. And I, I think Chris Young, uh, if he can get his mechanics right again, it's put up or shut up time for him. He had a, he had a great rookie year. Uh, ever since he has taken major steps back in that batting average, way too low. The number of strikeouts, way too high. And that's just all there is to it. And then the bench, well, I don't know. The bench, uh, the depth is questionable. The starting lineup, the starting pitching rotation, rather. See, this, the, the question that you have to ask yourself about the Diamondbacks is, when will Brandon Webb come back? Will it be later this month? Will it be in May? Will it be at all this season? If he comes back, I'm sure he can pitch effectively. I'm sure he'll be his normal Brandon Webb. He'll have that sinker going, that 90-mile-an-hour sinker that just bores in on you. I'm sure he's going to be fine, but he's got to get back out there. And that's the key to the Diamondbacks this year, uh, whether or not they finish fourth or first. And then other guys, too, like Edwin Jackson. Uh, He did not look very good last night. Uh, He hung that slider um, uh, to who's that Headley and, and he just punished it and that's going to happen. Uh, even though you're in the national league and even though your ERA is probably going to go down, you still, you can't hang sliders to hitters, even in the national league, you're going to get punished. Ian Kennedy. Uh, I like Ian Kennedy. He's a, he can be a strikeout kind of pitcher. The problem is he's another guy just like Max Scherzer was when he was here, throws way too many pitches. Way too many pitches. All right. I know I said I was going to keep this abbreviated, but I just, I start talking baseball and I can't help myself. I could go on the Diamondbacks, but that's, that's good enough. Uh, the, the bullpen and, and closer situation is going to be tough. That's going to be the issue. Gutierrez, Qualls, ugh, I don't know. I don't know. And, and your fifth starter. Who the hell is even the fifth starter? Are they actually going to bring Chris Benson up here to be the fifth starter? God, I hope not, because that tells me you've got real problems if Chris Benson is going to come up here. That guy's terrible. Hey, when he was good, he wasn't that good. The Giants, look, I mean, I had to put them somewhere. I put them in fourth. They could finish first. Man, their pitching rotation, they look good in the first three games against the Astros. I know it was against the Astros, though, so I have to, I have to justify that to myself, but they look good. Tim Lincecum, another, uh, probably another Cy Young year for him. This guy's going to have, he, he better make a lot of room on his shelves for some serious hardware because he's going to be getting it. If they could just give him some run support, if, if the guys on that team start developing like I think they will, if Sandoval can really start getting it going, uh, and with the other pieces they have now, they've got Renteria, they got Aaron Rowan still, uh, I don't know how, how big a role he's going to play, but if they can get these guys going, Aubrey Huff, they can get these guys going. You know, they have a chance, but I, their offense, that's the question mark. The pitching is not. I have no, the Giants pitching between um, Lincecum and Matt Kane. No, I'm, I'm perfectly all right with their pitching staff, even their bullpen. I'm all right with it. Looks fine to me. Looks looks good sitting over here. Even though I don't like the Giants, but I got to acknowledge. And the Padres, well, terrible. Look, uh, John Garland is your ace. That says all it needs to say about the uh, uh, about the pitching staff. I mean, Chris Young really should be the ace, but he's had a couple of down years. He looked like uh, Cy Young last night against the Diamondbacks. But then again, he always does. 
Um, but Chris Young, if he can come back and have uh, the kind of Chris Young season that he had a couple of years ago, 2007, 2008, uh, I think Chris Young will, um, he'll quickly take over as the ace of that staff, as he should, because he's better than John Garland. John Garland is a guy that, uh, for the White Sox, won 18 games, but that was five years ago. Uh, he fell off ever since, and I just, I think the guy, he's not really that good. He, you know, last year, this says what he was. He had a 4.01 ERA. You know, decent, decent. And pitching in Petco, that's going to help him a lot because it's like uh, 730 miles out to uh, out to the power alleys there or out to straightaway center. I mean, you need a cannon to launch it out of there. And even then, better put some uh, better put some rockets on that baseball if you want to get it out of the park there. But otherwise, oh, man. Bullpen is good, though. That is the one thing. Heath Bell, the anchor of that bull, but boy, I, I mean, the Padres have a real dilemma. Their offense is not very good, aside from Adrian Gonzalez, who I think will be traded during the season. Um, I know you got Venable and you got all these little, you got these pieces. But I don't like it. I really don't. So... Um, I'm, I'm going to go with the Padres fifth, uh, 65 to 70 wins. Everybody else is going to be at around 500, maybe slightly over, slightly under. They're all going to compete for this division. I think again, when the dust settles, Colorado probably wins the division, but injuries are going to play the big factor here. This is the, this is the division that's going to be the most competitive, but I think it's the division that is most contingent upon guys staying healthy more than any other division in baseball. And that's your Major League Baseball previews. And, um, you know, I had other stuff I wanted to talk about, but I I am finding it uh, increasingly difficult to even speak at the moment. And as you can tell, if you've, if you have sat here and you have listened to this entire podcast and you haven't either fallen asleep, which, listen, I would probably doze off listening to me too. Not not me in this current state. Uh, my voice is just, it's brutal right now. I mean, if I just kept it down here, it'd probably be all right. If I was just down here, it'd be like, hey, what's going on? Mike's got it going on down here. Hey. No, even that sounds terrible. But uh, if you've actually sat here and you've listened to me throughout this entire broadcast and you listen to all that stuff, all that, the baseball previews, and I know I didn't break it down like I said I was going to, and I know I didn't run through every roster, and I know I didn't, uh, I didn't give you the comprehensive uh, baseball breakdown that I normally do. And I do apologize, but I did the, uh, but, you know, circumstances are just the way they are. And we will talk baseball throughout the season. We talk sports on here. In spite of all the crap I get for it, I'm still going to talk sports. You know that that's what's going to happen. But uh, I, I, in this current state that I'm in, I, I just I can't really do it. It's, uh, it's a little tough for me. All right. If I have a voice tomorrow, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I will because, you know, I see the therapist tomorrow. So uh, if, if I have a voice for tomorrow, I will, uh, I'll be all right. I will uh, come to you with a podcast. It may be a short one. It may just be one where I say, here's a couple of stories I want to get to, a couple of things, because I still have stuff I want to talk about.
But uh, if that is the case, if I have a voice for tomorrow, we will be here. I'm going to try and rest it up. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't. Let me drink some tea. That could probably help. I've got the creepy crawly crud and I'm trying not to sniff and blow my nose into the microphone because... That would just be disgusting. You know, I have to I have to mention this before we leave. So I'm listening to, uh, you know what? I hate to do this, but I did tease it and I have to mention it. And, and if I don't, I might forget to do it. So uh, I have to uh, I have to halt my own my own outro. All right. So I'm listening to the radio the other day, and I have to make this observation. And again, you know, some people don't like it when I talk about other radio shows, radio hosts, but I, I have to mention this. So Randy Rhodes was uh, opining about what's going on with the country right now. And she's, of course, blaming all of the problems in this country on the Republicans and the Tea Partiers and all this, you know. Uh, you know, the, the party that's in the minority right now that doesn't have control over anything. So she's blaming all the problems in this country uh, on Republicans who have not had control of the House or the Senate for the last three years. They haven't had control of the White House for uh, a year and three months now. And uh, she's blaming uh, a lot of the problems on talk radio. She's uh, uh, going after Glenn Beck, and that's a, a popular target right now. Rush Limbaugh is kind of like old news. I mean, yeah, they, they still get their shots in on Limbaugh. But now the, the target has switched over to Glenn Beck. And admittedly, Glenn Beck says some pretty crazy things. He does say some things that just make you scratch your head and go, what? But then, and this was the most bizarre observation, Randy Rhodes says, you know, the, the tone in this country is just getting out of hand. And we just have people that are name calling and besmirching the the name of the president, and they are just out there. They are calling him a Nazi. They're calling him a, a terrorist. They're calling him this and that, and, and it's just all of these these insults that they're hurling at the president, and that just doesn't give you any credibility at all when you do that. Well, Randy, I will agree. If you sit there and you just toss those names around at the president, you call them this or that, you know, they say, well, she says, well, they're calling him socialist. They're calling him a Nazi. They're calling him a fascist. They're just calling him names. They're calling him stupid. They're calling him crazy. They're calling him the N-word. They're calling him this, that. Well, um, that's cool. And, and I get that. But hold on a second, because back in... 2004 and 2005 and 2006. Weren't you calling President Bush a Nazi and weren't you saying that it was the neocons this and the fascists that? And I mean, I do recall that because I was listening back then. Uh, my memory is quite clear on these kinds of things, Randy. 
I mean, it's okay if you want to say the tone in this country has gotten out of hand, and I will agree to some extent, but the tone on both sides has gotten out of hand. And don't say, don't be like Tom Hartman and say, I'm sorry, but I will disagree. Uh, it's much worse on the right than it is on the left. Oh, really? Randy Rhodes, the same Randy Rhodes that had the, the bit about the assassinating the president of the United States. That bit. And I know you're going to say, well, you know, it was taken out of context. You know, the, the neocons, they just took that bit and it's totally out of context. That wasn't the intent of the bit at all. No. That's fine. But it's how it came across. They didn't even apologize for the bit. And say anything. And I, again, you know me. I feel if, if you don't think you did anything wrong, don't apologize. But I don't know a whole lot of people, uh, including some people in suits that came down there and had a little talk with uh, with what went on there with the with the heads. The network, uh, they weren't too happy. Well, don't tell me. OK, the tone of the t- in this country, the tone has just gotten way out of hand. The tone has gotten out of hand. Well, yeah. And guess what? When, uh, when, when uh, the Republican, and I know you claim to be independent, and that's cool, but we, I mean, look, it's okay to admit that you're just, you're, you're a liberal. It's okay. You can admit it. I don't know why all of these uh, liberals have to say, no, we're not liberal. We're independent. Michael Moore does that same rap too. He's like, you know what? I'm independent. No, you're not. Independent means that you're not affiliated with any particular party. Independent would imply some semblance of, I won't say neutrality, because we all have our opinions. But it would imply that maybe, if you say you're independent, it might imply that maybe, you know, you take a little bit from over here and a little bit from over there. Of course, I guess I, I could just be playing semantics. That's, well, you know, that's centrist. Oh, that's centrist. Independent just means I'm not affiliated with any party, and I'm not. Okay. But it's okay to admit that you're liberal. I'm not saying you have to say you're a Democrat. It's okay to admit that you're liberal. I'm, I'm going to call myself progressive. That's what we do. Yeah, they call themselves progressives. Okay. Yeah, it's okay to admit that you're liberal. It's, I don't know why that's bad. If you think you're liberal, then then why not just admit what you are? People that are conservative have no problem admitting they're conservative. You know me, I've labeled myself a conservatarian, sort of the combination conservative-libertarian. You know, that's kind of how I am. I never uh, considered myself a right-wing, that's for sure. Because I have many stances where I am most definitely not. But I just think for, and then when Randy said, then you have, she actually said this on her show the other day. I, I couldn't, couldn't believe it. This was on uh, Tuesday. We should get the, uh, the audio of this. So just so you don't think I'm making this up. She said, and then you have people that are daring to question the le- legitimacy of Barack Obama's presidency. And I will, I, I'll tell you right now that I think that anybody that questions, you know, that these, the so-called birther crowd that thinks that, you know, he was born in Kenya and uh, that he's not the legitimate president of the United States, those people do need to give up the ghost. I mean, really, that's, it's just, it's enough already. It really is. 
You're not getting anywhere with it. Um, I don't care if you think the seal is real on his birth certificate or not. That that does need to stop. But of all people to say that, Randy Rhodes, who comes from the same group of people that did nothing but for eight years talk about the 2000 elections. The Republican, the neocons stole the election in 2000. They stole it. They stole the election. That's all. They go on the air and that's, that was their thing for like eight years. They were still, t- and they talked about uh, 2004 too. They talked about diebold machines and, and disenfranchised voters in Ohio. And they say the Republicans stole that election too. And that's all they did for, for eight years. Air America or, or any, uh, you know, who's, which is now dead, by the way. All these guys, Ed Schultz. Mike Malloy. I think Mike Malloy is still talking about that. One of the angriest guys in radio is this Mike Malloy. Ooh, boy, that is so, he has got some pent up aggression. Every other word on his show. And he's got he does it in that low key kind of delivery. You know, these uh, these conservatives, uh, goddamn every other word is goddamn out of him. Whenever I listen. Ed Schultz, another angry dude. I mean, I realize that every problem that this country has ever had and the fact that it rained yesterday, the fact that there was a mining explosion, the fact that, um, you know, um, American Idol is even on the air. I know that that's all the fault of the Republicans. I get it. The Republicans are to blame for everything. That that, uh, earthquake that happened in Indonesia last week and the earthquake that happened in Baja over the weekend... I know that's the fault of, of Republicans. I, George Bush, I mean, just ask Hugo, Hugo Chavez. They, we fired up our earthquake machine. Yeah, look, I, I understand that that's, that's your position, and that's fine that you think that, but, you know, don't dare call yourself independent. And don't say that you didn't do the exact same thing. And I know you can sp- you're going to spin it, and you're going to say, no, we, didn't. we never did that. We don't do that. Our rhetoric is above that. You know, we just talk about the facts and the truth. That's what we do. Well, no, that's not entirely what you do. You do bits about assassinating the president. You do, and I know, yeah, he's going to say we did bits about it. We only did one bit. Some guys in suits came and, you know, we didn't even lose our license. You know, nobody was even thrown in jail. I mean, come on. You can joke. It's okay to joke about killing Bush. I mean, Obama, that would be just repulsive. If somebody did that bit about Obama, you know, especially because they'd, they'd be racist. If you question Obama, it's racist. That's what, that's what these guys, they're, they're on the air every second. That's what it is. We never did that. Oh, no. You never went down to that level of calling Bush a Nazi. I never heard that. Meanwhile, as I go through my own archive here, I, I just went back and I, I looked at the archives of my show here and I, I keep a news archive. And um, back when the bridge collapsed in Minneapolis, back in 2008, uh, that night I did the show. The bridge collapsed about an hour before I did my show. And lo and behold, uh, I printed out something here. This is from uh, the Daily Costs. This is great. It's amazing what happens when you keep some records. From the Daily Kos, uh, some people were posting about how this is 
the fault of George Bush, his uh, failed policies killed more people. That's what went on. And again, this is this is right here from, uh, of course, we're not going to blame the local government. We're not going to blame the state government. Yeah, we're uh, we're going to blame the Bush administration because George Bush himself should have been out there uh, uh, putting up some more supports for that bridge. He should have closed that bridge down and said, I'm sorry, I just don't say, can't, can't have this thing open. <laughs> hey, come on, give me a break. Then I found another, my, uh, I'm just looking through here, I'm just paging through, and I am looking back to when Dick Cheney, um, was nearly, uh, uh, he was in uh, Iraq. He went over um, secretly to Iraq and there was a bomb that went off in the green zone or near the green zone, the fortified zone in, uh, in Baghdad. Uh, only uh, a short distance, a few hundred yards or so, a thousand yards from where Dick Cheney was. And here's a comment. This is a great comment. This is from the Daily Cost. These are the people... It's the Randy Rhodes crowd who said, it's a shame, is what it says, it's a shame that son of a bitch didn't get blown up to LOL. And then there's like, uh, there's like five more pages of that. And a lot of it is stuff, you know, you generally can't read on the air. I could certainly read it on this podcast, but I'm just going to choose not to. Interesting. So uh, one side does it and the other side doesn't. Is that, is, that, is that what you're trying to say? Or one side does it a lot more. And with them, it's hate. With us, it's, you know, it's, it's a, there's, there's really not that many extremists. And the ones that are, we isolate ourselves from them. Really? Where was the condemnation of these people? Where's the condemnation of yourself for engaging in that same kind of talk? I mean, I couldn't believe it. When I heard her say that the other day, I actually was tempted to call in. And you know, I generally don't call radio shows. I host radio shows. I don't call radio shows. But there are times where I am inspired to do so. And I almost did. I knew right away, though, because what happens, and I know how talk, I know how talk radio works. I'm not some idiot. I'm not some uh, greenhorn here. I'd get on the air and immediately the conversation, she would monopolize the conversation because otherwise, if she did not, I would uh, totally destroy her credibility immediately. I know, I know. How can a guy hosting a podcast destroy the credibility of somebody that has a show on premier radio networks? How could that ever happen? Well, it's really simple. It's really simple. Uh, what we do is we just go back and we play the tapes of you uh, calling the Bush the same thing and saying the same thing about the the uh, about Bush not being a legitimate president because you dared to to uh, excoriate people that said that Barack Obama is not a legitimate president, but then you said Bush isn't a legitimate president or wasn't a legitimate president. Well, the difference is with me, we had facts. For that, we had Diebold and a whole bunch of people wearing tinfoil hats told us that the 2004 election was stolen and, and black folks, they said that they were disenfranchised because they had to stand in line. Wow, really? They had to stand in line? You know, people in Afghanistan, they, they're walking past uh, the, uh, the IEDs. They're, they're, they're walking by those to get to uh, vote. People in Iraq, same thing. Well, some people here in the United States, they had to stand in line. They were disenfranchised. 
They had Republicans coming up to them and saying, you better vote Republican. That's disenfranchisement. Okay. So she engaged in the same kind of rhetoric, and yet, well, you get the point. <laughs> Election wasn't legitimate. Yeah, the Supreme Court stole it. What's her name? Catherine Harris. She stole it back in 2000. Ridiculous. So when I say it, it's I'm using facts. When they say it, it's just birthers. Birthers and truthers and, you know, people that have common sense. How dare they interject common sense into this discussion? Just shut up, Randy Rhodes. Shut up. I mean, it's really, I mean, that's the end of it. All these people, Tom, Tom Hartman, all these guys, man, I, I just, I don't get it. They, they want, they want uh, some personal responsibility. They want some accountability for what people say on the air, and then they have none themselves. Weird. All right, anyway, I can now resume with the ending of the show. So let's see. I said I wasn't going to do a two-hour podcast, and then I turned around and I did a two-hour podcast. Uh, I said I wasn't going to get into all this stuff, and I was going to try and conserve my voice, and then I didn't do that. Well, I, I guess I'm just like Randy Rhodes. I'm a hypocrite too, but I think it's it's for the better. It's for the uh, the listening pleasure of the audience, which I think is really all that matters. All right, we're back uh, maybe to do another show tomorrow. I've covered a whole lot today. Mike at KMGX.com, the email address. That's also our PayPal address if you want to contribute to this program. Um, AOL Instant Messenger, Michael Groff Show is the screen name. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-R-O-F-F Show, AOL Instant Messenger. I do apologize again for the voice, for the vocal quality here. I realize that... Uh, I realized about five minutes in, this is going to be a rough show. And I'm all phlegmy. Got all this spilgus going on here. Oh, boy. Yeah. Tomorrow, we have to play you some unbelievable political ads that are going on in Missouri. You're not even going to believe this. That's uh, tomorrow or next on the podcast. Michael Groff in exile on a Wednesday. Have a great night, everybody. See ya. Well, hopefully, tomorrow. Tomorrow.